I love to see NFL Twitter getting petty. You know, yesterday Roddy White sent some shade the Saints way, tweeted, quote, Saints about to get whipped trying us with Taysom Hill at QB. We about to snack them. Now, first of all, first part of that I want to dissect is snack them. Do you think he meant smack them or snack them like eat them alive? (laughs) Uh, I think he probably meant smack them, but with some of his tweets, you can't really understand what he's saying. So maybe he did mean eat them alive. I'm not too sure on that one. I mean, I like it either way. I mean, I like I like the energy, you know, coming out hot. But when you come out hot and you fail, you know, you got to hear about it. You know, Roddy White, star receiver for the Falcons for 11 years. Sean Payton was the Saints head coach for 10 of those years. And so naturally, when the Saints win with Taysom Hill, who Roddy White was throwing shade at, Sean Payton just hit him with the subtle flex, the retweet. You know, kind of like, I see you, but it's not worthy of a response. Like, you know what you did. And it kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, Joey, I know you've been in a relationship a long time. Maybe you've been in this situation where like, you know, your girlfriend has a guy friend or like a male admirer that, you know, gets a little bit too friendly with the Instagram likes or the Instagram comments. And like in that situation, the way I I handle that, it's like, you don't respond. You don't comment back to the Instagram post, like, and say anything crazy. You just hit it with the like, like, I see what you're doing, but just know it's not affecting things over here. And that's kind of what Sean Payton did today. (laughs) Yeah. Sean Payton definitely pulled a, a this you question mark (laughs) but the way you respond to those dudes in your girl's dms you don't respond by liking the dm or you know liking his comment under the picture you 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 throw a picture in his inbox of you blowing your girl's back out (laughs) that's a real petty move okay we don't do all that liking stuff around here (laughs) it's either you don't say anything or You just go full savage mode. There's no in-between. Full send? (laughs) Yeah, you just full send it. There's no in-between. Because, like, that's your, that's your woman. You know, that, that's your right hand. That's your, that's your other half, right? And you can't allow that disrespect. So you can either just, you know, play it off, whatever, or you just go full nude shot of you, (laughs) of you on the team. So that, that's how I look at that. going on everybody welcome to episode 108 of the dfs dose podcast your fix of daily fantasy sports information strategy and analysis i'm your host ben Harvard, joined as i always am by joey carrion and on today's show we're going to recap all of the action from week 11 in the nfl from a dfs perspective we'll review the most popular cash game plays and the decision points you had to make around them on this slate our results what it took to win a million dollars on DraftKings this week, and of course, we'll close out the show with some of the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. But before we do any of that, Joey, would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast? You can support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out all of our content, including the podcast, YouTube videos, clips from the podcast, and you know, links to our discord which you can join for free where we talk about dfs literally every single day and we answer everybody's questions in there and even 
put in our favorite tournament plays for the week. So make sure you join the Discord in the link down below in the description of this podcast. And you can also help support the DFS Dose by making sure you are subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, you know, whatever podcasting site is out there, the DFS Dose is on. So just make sure you are subscribed. It's a button right down below the title of our podcast. So make sure like I said, you are subscribed, helps us out a lot, helps us reach new listeners in those app feeds. And then lastly, make sure you are subscribed to our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose, currently at about 127 subscribers. So if you want to help us reach that 130 subscriber mark, that would be fantastic. Ben and myself release videos every single week on the Millie Maker and on Cash Games on Wednesdays and Fridays. And then, you know, it's Thanksgiving coming up. This week, week 12, right? We're going to put out a nice Thanksgiving preview podcast for all of the listeners, which will be out on Wednesday. So the day before Thanksgiving, because, you know, we're, we're just grinding. We got to provide the content Always. for you guys. So make sure you're on the lookout for that. I just had to throw that in there real quick. Yeah, yeah. Good looks on that. And, and I'm looking forward to that podcast. Thanksgiving is always one of my favorite slates to play of the entire year. A lot of action a lot of ways to go with the three-game slate. So definitely looking forward to that and looking forward to the Wednesday pod. Now, let's get into some of the highly owned cash game plays of the week and our strategy, our decision points, and our results. Now, in terms of ownership in cash games, and these ownerships come from the massive $25 single entry double up on DraftKings, what I saw looking at this slate, looking back at it after it concluded, was there was chalk on this slate, but for the most part, I would say that ownership was the most spread out it's been all year in cash games at this point in the show. Usually I say something along the lines of, you know, running back chalk went as expected. I don't believe that was the case this week. Now, Dalvin Cook, highest owned running back on the slate at 72% in cash, and that made a lot of sense. But after that, I think it was kind of a toss up. Kalen Balaj came in second in terms of ownership at 28.1%, and then there were just a ton of other running backs that got mixed in for the running back two and three spots on people's rosters. A lot of people played Adrian Peterson and Mike Davis. Both of them were around 20%. Duke Johnson, Antonio Gibson, JD McKissick, Gio Bernard, all of those guys got played at decent rates. And then at wide receiver, Jacoby Myers was the obvious chalk, you know, Joey's lock play of the week, if you will, 57% owned. Keenan Allen right behind him, 36%. And Terry McLaurin, 28%. A couple other guys pushing borderline chalk status and Deontay Johnson at 25, Devontae Adams at 21. At quarterback, the chalkiest play was unsurprisingly Taysom Hill at 4,800, ended up coming in at 39% owned. Tight end, Logan Thomas, 28%. Mark Andrews, 20%. Saw some guys like Dallas Goddard and TJ Hawkinson between 15 and 18% in various double ups. So, those were the main guys in terms of cash game builds. Now, the cash line was around 143 in this massive single entry $25 double up. It was around that in most of the single entry double ups on DraftKings. And Joey, I mean, you can tell just from the bounce in our voices, you know, this is not a pain cast. I think we did pretty well this week. How did you do? 
in cash games. Yeah, I did. I did pretty well in cash games this week, and I did pretty well overall. It was my best week of the season. So shout out to me. Uh, my cash lineup specifically scored 155 points. Obviously, cashed in 100% of the double ups that I played in, and then I ended up going 41 in 10 in the 51 head to heads that I played this week. So a solid win. Didn't really have to sweat cashing at all today, as I was literally in the top 100 basically from one to seven o'clock um keenan obviously pushed me down the standings a little bit with him going off for 38 but nice easy dub and and it's always great to have one of those weeks sure is man especially following a week like last week just getting absolutely dusted feels good to come back and smash i like you had one of my better weeks of the season, definitely from a cash game perspective, put up 167.82 points in my main cash lineup. I will admit I, I pulled the ultimate beta move and, and, you know, split my cash line two ways this week, 80% on my main lineup, 20% on my secondary hedge lineup, but both pretty much smashed. My secondary lineup had 147.5. So in total between the two lineups, 92.5% total win rate, 148 out of my 161 head to heads and cashed in 100% of double ups. So, I mean, I think that we can just jump right into decision points. And the main decision point is one that I think was a pretty tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. And we kind of got into it a little bit in the cold open and it was, it was Taysom Hill, right? So 60% of people opted to fade the best projecting point per dollar quarterback that we've had all year. And normally in a situation like that, I would say, man, the edge is well, the edge is alive, but I, I actually get it with this. I think that Taysom Hill was a tough play in a lot of ways, despite the projections, despite the raw numbers suggesting he was a fantastic play because raw numbers and projections don't account for the possibility of Sean Payton going AWOL and potentially throwing in Jameis Winston. Like I said, turbulent saga. Let's run over how this week went from the Taysom Hill's perspective. We spent Monday through Thursday assuming Jameis Winston would start. That That was the general consensus. Friday morning, Adam Schefter and Diana Rossini tweet that not only is Winston not the starter, but he will have no packages in the offense and Hill will be the full-time starter play every snap in the game. A few hours later, Sean Payton disputes that claim, saying that he hasn't named a starter. Fast forward two days later, Sunday morning, there's an article on ESPN talking about how the players and the staff inside the Saints organization were upset with the choice to roll Hill and ultimately thought that Jameis Winston should start. Finally, the last little wrinkle was around 12.45 p.m. Eastern, 15 minutes before lock. You know, you could read on Twitter that Taysom Hill was working out with the special teams on the field. So all in all, this was, you know, a very up and down outlook for Taysom Hill as the week developed. How did you process the uncertainty throughout the week? And at what point did you ultimately commit to running Taysom in cash as both of us did? Yeah, so throughout the week, it was definitely, um, you know, a tough situation to to deal with in terms of building lineups because it's like, you know, do we think Jameis is going to play? Uh, do we still pay up to Lamar, even though Taysom Hill is at 4,800? But then we get the news on Friday that, you know, Taysom Hill is going to start. He's going to play essentially the entire game with Winston not taking any snaps from him. So I think once we got those reports, I kind of committed to him at that point. And then I fully committed to Taysom Hill at 3 a.m. on Sunday morning when I was mm. up 
building my cash lineup because I'm just a grinder like that. Okay. Yeah. And then for me, I, I have my lineup locked at 3 a.m. And this was the first week that I didn't tinker with my lineup. I let it ride uh, with the lineup that I had locked in at 3 a.m. I thought it was the best possible lineup for this week. It ended up working out. And then in the discord, I said multiple times that Taysom Hill could 3x just off his rushing alone, which ended up coming true as he had two rushing touchdowns. So for me, as soon as we got those reports from Schefter and Diana Russini, it was an auto lock and I didn't really take into consideration those tweets about him, you know, practicing as a protector on special teams. Like I wasn't going to come off Taysom Hill because he was practicing on a pump formation like that. I think that's just dumb. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, I agree with you. On the other, I mean, I understand because this was such a fluid situation. And I also think it tested a lot of people's biases. You know, Taysom was a player that had a pretty negative connotation about him in the fantasy community. And Winston is a guy that is coming off of a 5,000 yard passing season with 30 touchdowns. Taysom had what, like 11 pass attempts coming into this game. So I don't think that he was by any means a smash, especially once we got the news that PJ Walker would be available starting in place of Teddy Bridgewater at 4,800. And, you know, definitely I think had a little bit less bench equity. Like I thought there was a better chance that PJ Walker played the whole game. He was also in a good spot going against the Lions. And Joe Burrow was only $700 more as well with, you know, zero bench equity. Um, obviously Burrow didn't make it through the whole game and we'll talk about that later, but that isn't something that you can project. But yeah, I mean, I I don't fault the 60% of people who opted not to play Taysom Hill. I think that it is sometimes smart to be risk averse in that way because Taysom Hill could easily have busted, but at 4,800 with the rushing equity and rushing projection that he had, like you said, I think it was just too hard Mm -hmm. to get away from ultimately. And that's why I played him. Like I said, I split my lineup and it was just a one for one. I played 20% with a PJ Walker lineup. I don't, that's the first time I've split all year. I mean, do you think that that was just ultimate beta or, or was the risk on Taysom worth making that choice? I mean, it was definitely beta 100%. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm never running two cash lineups cause I'm just a different breed, but some people aren't <laughs> built like me. Some people are built different. And I, I, True. I didn't think you were one of those people cause you've never done it. I've never even seen you consider it. And then no. you just go full fish mode and play two lineups. Ultimate fish play. I, I'm disappointed, to be 10 honest. 10 out of 10 would not recommend. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Don't make my mistakes. I mean, I got there, but don't make the mistake. You know, the other interesting thing real quick, Alvin Kamara didn't record a reception for the first time in his career in a game that he played. And I think that it's directly correlated to the way that Taysom Hill is an absolute ball hog when he has the ball in his hands. I mean, how how do you feel about that? Do you think that Alvin Kamara takes a major hit with Drew Brees being on IR and having a realistic comeback date of week 15? I mean, is this going to be a rough stretch for Alvin Kamara with Taysom in there as starter? Yeah, definitely could be a rough stretch. But then again, you know, Kamara gets a lot of high value touches. But then again, if the Saints run read options with Taysom Hill, there's probably a 95% chance he's keeping that ball and not handing it off to Kamara uh, near the goal line but I think Camara is still going to be a very viable fantasy back just from the way that the Saints use him and I and I think this was more so game script they really only needed to pass for what three quarters up and up until they got up by like 15 or so so tough game for Camara but I, I think he rebounds next week Taysom looked legit though right I mean he had what like a 70% completion percentage he had a long touchdown called back on a holding penalty I mean he, he looked good he could 
could have hit the 300 yard bonus honestly so um, yeah so, so with that the saints used him how they used drew Brees. i don't think they had any designed runs for Taysom hill for at least two and a half quarters so they were strictly using Taysom hill as you know a pocket passer and obviously he still can run so he was rolling out quite a bit but he didn't have many rush attempts coming into the third quarter and even the fourth quarter so i think we could see that moving forward as him being you know just a strict drew Brees replacement and Taysom hill can actually throw the ball more than 15 yards down the field so who knows maybe this will ultimately end up being a better situation for guys like Michael Thomas Kamara Jared Cook etc with Taysom Hill's ability to push the ball down the field the Saints wide receivers are gonna have to get used to catching a ball with some juice behind it and I saw Michael (laughs) Thomas look a little like whoa whoa whoa. this thing's coming at me fast he's used to catching those uh those limp those ducks yeah (laughs) you could definitely tell because Kamara and and Michael Thomas both had multiple drops, I believe, in in this game. So yeah. So I think that about covers Taysom. I think the second decision point that a lot of people struggled with was how to handle running back. You know, there was only really one clear-cut stud play this week, and that was Dalvin Cook, who was a no-brainer at 9K in this spot against the Cowboys. If you were part of the 30% of people that decided to fade him in cash games this week, you might want to reevaluate your process. That's that's all I got to say about that. But assuming that you made the right call and you jammed Cook in, there were a lot of different ways that you could go with your running backs two and three. You and I made similar choices. We both played Kalen Balaj RB2 and a Washington football team running back as our RB3, although we went with different guys in this backfield. So talk about why Balaj was in there for you, as well as your choice to roll Antonio Gibson over the rest of the 5K running back field. Just from a pre-lock standpoint, I was considering Balaj, Gibson, and Duke Johnson for my two running back spots, right? And I felt as if Balaj and Gibson had the safer floor slash upside since the running back position in Houston is literally non-existent and we've seen it for the whole season like they've just don't use their running backs. So I felt like Balaj was a fairly easy play considering the Chargers said he was the guy and it ended up coming to fruition. He had 16 attempts and he had nine targets for seven catches. So 23 total touches at 5,600. Now he had a floor game with 14 points, but I'll take that all day, every day with a 5.6K running back at home in a great matchup against uh, the Jets. And it was a revenge game. So, you know, just add that narrative into the list of reasons that Balaj was a good play and then for me Antonio Gibson was the player that I ended up choosing as my running back three now I will say he was more thin since he seeds snaps and touches to JD McKissick but I think Gibson projected better than JD in a game where they were favored at home against a Cincy Rundy that has given up over 130 yards per game to opposing running backs they've allowed a little bit over five yards per carry to opposing running backs so they get absolutely demolished on the ground and then I think that Antonio Gibson's touch projection on a weekly basis is better than JD's although JD's target projection is better I was 
more inclined to play Antonio Gibson at 58 rather than JD at 5,200. So that was just my thought process, and it's always nice when it works out. Yeah, I mean, I was right there with you as far as the Balage call goes. Chargers had a top three implied team total. All the news was that Anthony Lynn was going to feature him. I mean, that's what we saw over the last two weeks. Balage finished with 23 targets, and he didn't really do much, but he got there off of the receptions, had seven catches, and, you know, we even talked about that on the podcast like you know with Austin Eckler gone somebody's going to be catching balls from Justin Herbert out of the backfield that's just part of the Chargers offense so Kalen Balaj, you know showed that he could do it last week had five of his six targets last week then caught seven of nine this week I think that that is part of his game for sure and it, it was just a test in removing your biases about Balaj from the past and I think that that is something that was pretty easy to do because I'm not going to hold you know players accountable for what they did in Miami 2019 one of the worst teams on offense last year or with his time, his brief stint with Adam Gase. So Balaj was good for me. And I just chose McKissick over Gibson because perhaps it was recency bias looking at his two starts with Alex Smith and taking into account a game where Alex Smith dropped back 55 times. Uh, which definitely boosted McKissick's numbers last week, but I didn't think it was outside of the realm of possibility that the Bengals would, you know, roll in this game. Joe Burrow, you know, just slinging it against this Washington defense and forcing them into a position where McKissick just saw a flurry of targets didn't happen this week. I think McKissick ran poorly, only getting four targets and catching three of them, but it, it was okay. And, and part of the McKissick play was I just didn't have the salary to get up to the Gibsons or the Dukes of the world because I wanted to jam Keenan. Uh, so ultimately that worked out, but I think that they, they were relatively close. I, I don't think Gibson was a bad play by any stretch. I just opted to take the target floor, or at least what I perceived to be the target floor. Yeah. And I think that's where we kind of differ because for me personally, I'm never playing a running back, albeit a trash running back. I know that running backs don't matter, but you know, JD McKissick isn't a good player and I'm not playing a running back solely based on their perceived target projection in a trash offense, uh, in a game against another bad offense. Although we could project Joe Burrow if he didn't get hurt to, you know, drop back a ton. I thought this game was severe overrated in terms of people touting it um I while I did think the Bengals did have a chance to win I ended up coming around to the fact that Washington could control this game and that's kind of why I leaned Gibson as my RB3 over McKissick but just from a process standpoint like I said I'm just not gonna you know hope that my guy gets you know, 15 targets again on a bad offense where he's splitting touches and snaps with another running back. So that that's just how I look at it. That's fair. And I think I overvalued the last two weeks, but I think you undervalued McKissick to a certain extent. I mean, he was second in running back targets uh, in the entire year. I, I mean, maybe he's trash and maybe his ceiling isn't high. And I definitely knew that going into the play that his ceiling was capped because of Antonio Gibson. But I mean, he has been extremely consistent and 5,200, I think was just a good price for a floor play if it allowed you to get up to somebody like Keenan or maybe in a different build Adams uh, although I wasn't on that but we can agree to disagree on the Washington backs I think one thing we can agree on is that Adrian Peterson pushing 20% ownership in double ups is just it's just terrible why the hell did a fifth of DraftKings think playing Adrian Peterson was a good idea this week I mean I have no idea 
Because, like, if you play Adrian Peterson this week, I, I, I don't think DFS is the game for you. <laughs> you played a guy that can't average more than three yards per carry on an offense that has lost multiple weapons. Stafford is banged up. Yeah, no shot you played Adrian Peterson. I mean, it, I, <laughs> I don't even have words. I'm speechless. Like, there, there's an edge in DFS. Don't ever let anybody yeah. tell you otherwise because 20% of players opted to play a washed up scrub at running back who was who was splitting touches it's not like he was in a workhorse role carry on johnson was coming on the field and taking touches and snaps away from ap and then combine that with the fact that he has no reception upside come on bro yeah i mean if you thought that adrian peterson was gonna come in and get 20 touches you were bugging. I mean, carry on ended up out touching him slightly, but I mean, Adrian Peterson has no receiving upside and he got 1.8 points. And if you played him, I'm not trying to, to rub dirt in the dirt in the wounds, but I mean, you kind of deserve that 1.8 low because you're playing <laughs> oh, for sure. a washed up scrub at age 35. And, and yeah, I mean, what, what else do you get? The lions had none of their offensive talent. This was obviously going to be a spot. I think where they lost to the Panthers and yeah, I mean, sometimes, uh, the process works and if your process led you to adrian peterson you're probably failing from the start this week i think the final decision point that we had to make in cash games was what to do at wide receiver and this was where our lineups were most different both of us played myers and mclaurin who i think were fairly obvious plays but due to the rest of our constructions we were in different price points for our final wide receiver you were in that 6k range i was committed to getting up to keenan Turns out that neither of us could go wrong when I land on Keenan Allen and you land on Deontay Johnson, two players who were pivotal in winning in DFS in week 11. Yeah, I mean, both were fantastic plays this week, especially Keenan Allen, who had a monster game against the Jets, which was easily predictable. I played him basically in every single tournament lineup. Um, The matchup was great. And obviously, going up against the Jets is a great spot for any wide receiver. So Keenan Allen was one of the best plays on the board. And then Deontay Johnson, we know his role if he finishes games. We know he's going to get 10-plus targets pretty much every time he touches the field. Big Ben just looks to pepper Deontay Johnson with uh, just high probability targets. Um, the, These are very convertible catches, low A dot catches so Deontay Johnson had a phenomenal game uh, 12 for 111 he was one yard short of scoring a touchdown which you know would have helped him match Keenan Allen who scored a touchdown but all in all uh two great plays this week and I was fine with rolling Deontay as my wide receiver three especially since you know I paid up to Hawkinson and I know you paid down to Goddard and I paid up to Gibson and the Washington defense at 2900 so you opted to to go the cheaper route to jam Keenan in which was correct also in my opinion and I kind of went the more mid-range route which ended up working out so I mean I I felt like if you played one of those two your process was correct this week yeah definitely I mean I was probably never gonna play Deontay because low-key I'm a hater as is documented on this podcast but I can't hate at this point I mean he's absolutely 
snapping when he's healthy. Perhaps he got some reinforcement to his glass bones. Maybe the injuries are past him, and uh, I'll have to look at him differently going forward. Keenan Allen, just to say the numbers, because we haven't yet, 16 receptions for 145 and a touchdown on 19 targets, put up 38.5. DraftKings points, 16 receptions is a career high for Keenan Allen. I think that the best years of Keenan's career are going to come with Justin Herbert, clear-cut upgrade from Tyrod and Philip Rivers that he's had to deal with in, uh, over the past couple of years. Yeah, and people who drafted Keenan Allen were extremely fortunate for that doctor on the Chargers payroll. That's all I will say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, Keenan was a stone value in best ball and redraft. Let's move on here and talk about what it took to win a million dollars on DraftKings this week in the main Millie Maker, the large one. I know they had two up there, but we'll focus on the large field, the traditional $20 buy-in. The winner this week was a user named Winson. They put up 200 22.02 points and it was an interesting lineup i think Taysom hill naked and uncorrelated didn't stack him didn't bring back any falcons he game stacked the minnesota dallas game within his lineup with dalvin thielen and cd lan scraped by with a savan Ahmed 12.1 off smashed with keenan allen and deontay johnson the stone nuts at wide receiver finished off with a nice negative correlation with Dallas Goddard at tight end going against the Browns D, but it all worked out. You know, this was pretty chalky, I think, as far as a Millie Maker team goes. The cumulative ownership was 144%. I mean, that's almost double last week's winner, which, I mean, as we noted on the podcast last week, was exceptionally contrarian with a cumulative ownership below 80%, but still... 144 is about 20 points over what I think you would call quote unquote recommended for a large field GPP the size of the millimaker. Yeah, and just in terms of the cumulative ownership, usually you want to stay under 150, so they did do that with their lineup, but like you said it was kind of chalky. Just from an overall lineup perspective, I think it was a pretty solid lineup. I don't I don't think it was bad. I think you could have ran Taysom Hill naked due to his rushing ability and his rushing upside. So I think that was fine. And then, you know, you you took the risk. If you faded Taysom Hill in tournaments at 4.8K, if he goes off for 25 to 30, you're most likely done. And I mean, I took that risk, got burned. Ended up cashing in tournaments though with Justin Herbert, but uh, tough scene. But back to the lineup, um, stacked the Minnesota and Dallas game, a game that we were high on and specifically Adam Thielen was one of both of ours favorite plays. I know I tweeted about it like nobody was going to play Thielen but everybody was going to play Cook and Justin Jefferson so I felt like Thielen was an easy leverage play at wide receiver ended up scoring two touchdowns. Um, Keenan and Deontay were great plays obviously. Goddard was a solid play that I like. Browns D was a solid play and then obviously Delvin was a great play so overall I think the lineup is good um and and we discussed on the preview episode how this could be another week where you could specifically play one-offs and be okay uh due to the nature of the games and a lot of the games were absolute trash so it ended up working out and a shout out to winston million dollars richer let's get into our interesting stats and storylines and i want to kick it off with our boy XFL legend PJ Walker, who ended the Panthers' five-game losing streak and extended his own professional football winning streak to six after going undefeated as the Houston Roughnecks quarterback in the XFL this March and seamlessly 
transition to being a winning NFL starter. The Panthers smashed the Lions 20-0, and Walker's play was a major factor. He completed 70% of his 34 pass attempts, threw for 258 in a touchdown, produced two 20-plus point DraftKings wide receivers, and man, what do you think? Is this the start of a quarterback controversy in Carolina? <laughs> no, I, I don't believe that it is the start of a quarterback controversy. While P.J. Walker was good and led them to a win, he did make some, you know, rookie mistakes uh, through some clear-cut bad interceptions. And I think the Panthers signed Teddy to be the guy. I think that's why they gave him a three-year, $65 million contract. Although we might believe that P.J. Walker has a higher ceiling than Teddy, I think Teddy is the guy moving forward. But P.J. Walker, you know, he was good. And he led the Panthers to a victory over the Trash Lions. And like you said, he produced two 20-plus point wide receivers. So if you were on DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, shout out to you. I played uh, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson in one lineup. Uh, I don't think I cashed in that lineup, so it was it was an L. But yeah, shout out to PJ Walker. And hopefully he gets a chance to start somewhere in the NFL if it's not in Carolina because he's legit good yeah he is legit good and i also don't believe that carolina would consider getting away from teddy but i think that my biggest takeaway from how this played out was that there is a definitive market for the xfl now i mean the xfl got clowned from everybody who wasn't a degenerate gambler slash dfs player obviously we all loved it another football sport to play on DraftKings. but i think that what this showed is that you know there is room for a, you know, spring league or a, a minor league in in football where, you know, players who slip through the cracks get a second try cuz PJ Walker slipped through the cracks and, you know, if it weren't for the XFL, I don't think that there's any shot he ever would have had this opportunity, but he goes to the XFL, takes a chance on a league and goes 5-0, and looks like the best player in the league and what, 10 months later, 6 months later, I don't know, something like that, he's starting in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, that proved that the XFL has a place. I know that it's going to come back. I know they got some funding from The Rock, and I think that they would have been all right had it not been for COVID. So I think that uh, XFL in the future, Arrow is pointing up, which, which I like to see. Yep. XFL 2022. It's when it comes back. Looking forward to it for sure. Now, the QB drama in the NFL did not stop with P.J. Walker. We had major movement in the Offensive Rookie of the Year market. And if you ask me, the results of this award were decided today. Joe Burrow, torn ACL, very unfortunate. Tua, benched mid-game for Ryan Fitzpatrick, or benched in the fourth quarter, I should say. Justin Herbert is the last man standing. He's putting up eye-popping numbers on pace for over 4,500 yards and 40 touchdowns. If you ask me, Justin Herbert is that guy who right now, by the way, you can still get plus money on plus 125 on some sports books. Yeah, I mean, Justin Herbert is clear-cut the offensive rookie of the year with the injury to Joe Burrow. Although Tua did get benched, he is still the starter moving forward, announced by Brian Flores after the game. But I don't think, like we talked about in a in a preview episode a couple of weeks ago, I don't think he has enough games to come back in terms of stats uh, on Justin Herbert. So yeah, offensive rookie of the year, Justin Herbert is a lock to win it. I, I think that's a fairly easy bet especially if you can get plus money on it that that's a very uh, plus ev bet in my opinion agreed and i mean herbert is just absolutely fantastic 
I mean, I think that you can make like maybe a small long shot bet on Tua because I think certain people who decide those awards would be swayed by Tua if he, you know, makes it to the playoffs, which the Chargers have no shot of doing, especially if Tua were to somehow win a game. But I mean, definitely not encouraging to see Ryan Fitzpatrick take over in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Flores did come out, like you said, said that Tua will start next week, but also said that Tua wasn't benched for injury. It was because they thought that Ryan Fitzpatrick gave them the better chance to win. That's a little bit concerning to hear after Tua went 3-0 and in his first three starts. Yeah, but I mean, he was just struggling against the Broncos. And as a rookie quarterback in the NFL, it's not going to be all gravy and easy wins. Uh, so this was just a spot where Tua was, was struggling. He just didn't have a good game. So they decided to play Ryan Fitzpatrick because he gave them the better chance to win in that game. But I think long term, and if we're talking the rest of the season, I think Tua gives the Dolphins the best chance to win on a weekly basis, uh, just because I think he is an all around better quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick, although he may not be a better fantasy quarterback. And obviously we're a fantasy podcast, so that's what we care about. But in in real life, I don't even think it's close. Tua is better and has a higher ceiling than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Got anything to say about uh, Joe Burrow? I mean... It sucks. I don't know what else to say. I mean, that, that sucks for him. He was on a, you know, on a path to potentially set the rookie passing record, um, you know, put up Andrew Luck like stats. And it just sucks to see the torn ACL. He got a lot of love on Twitter from NFL stars across the league. Yeah. I mean, it's just a tough scene. That's football. Um, yeah. Players get injured. Uh, just an unfortunate injury where the defensive lineman and the offensive lineman just fell to the ground, landed on the back of his leg, and you know how that story plays out. But in terms of fantasy for the rest of the season, uh, with the Bengals' skill position players, obviously hurts every single one of their skill position player stocks. Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, uh, A.J. Green, if you're still playing him. I think they are borderline unplayable with Ryan Finley at quarterback. I mean, it's late in the season. Not many options that you can choose from on the waiver wire or trade for as trade deadlines have passed. So you're kind of just going to have to deal with it if you have any of these players in your leagues. But it's going to be a tough situation. Uh, moving forward for all all of their wide receivers and running backs. Yeah, I mean, Boyd managed to be productive today, but most of his production came when Joe Burrow was still in the game. T. Higgins only caught like three out of his 10 targets. A.J. Green caught less than 50% of his targets as well. I agree with you. I think it is wraps for the Bengals offensive skill position players and the offense as a whole will take such a downturn that I wouldn't even feel comfortable starting guys like Mixon or Geo whoever started there. I think I think it's over yeah. for the Bengals this year, unfortunately. We will check back on them in 2021. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that there's another rookie quarterback that we have to discuss. Now, this is one who has not taken a snap yet, but Joey, I think he needs to start taking them soon. Jalen Hurts. If I were an Eagles fan, I would be chomping at the bit to get this man in the starting lineup with a long week of prep ahead of the Eagles for a Monday night football game in a great matchup to put a young quarterback in against a Seattle team that can't stop anyone. I mean, Matt, Carson Wentz is is just bad. How bad is he, Joey? I mean, Carson Wentz is god-awful. Literally terrible. Carson Wentz leads the NFL in interceptions and fumbles lost. Just let that sink in. Mm. In two turnover categories, 
he leads the NFL. And now I know the Eagles have had injuries to their offensive linemen, but most of them have came back from those injuries. So there's really no excuse for why he should be playing so poorly. And I know there was rain in this game, but Carson Wentz is just so bad. And I think they really have to take a long, hard look into the mirror and think about playing Jalen Hurts over Carson Wentz the rest of the season. I mean, I know they still have a playoff shot because they're in the worst division of all time, but man, you you can't allow Carson Wentz to go back on that football field. You just can't. But they I mean, probably I will. Tweeting that he, I saw people tweeting that he was the worst player who was on the field today. And I mean, I, I tried to seriously sit down and think of it. I looked at all the teams, and I think that he is bottom five in terms of quarterback right now. The only other quarterbacks I would put in the discussion as bad as Carson Wentz are like Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, Jake Luton, and that might be where the list stops. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Carson Wentz is just, like you said, god-awful and. You know, you know what helps a shaky offensive line? A mobile quarterback. Let's get Jalen Hurts in there. And sports cards, man. Let's get some Jalen Hurts cards. That's what I learned from today. <laughs> I'm gonna invest in some Jalen Hurts Jalen Hurts cards. Yeah, we're we're a sports card podcast now, so make sure you go and buy Jalen Hurts rookie cards when they come out in a couple weeks. Yup, yup. Get get those Panini prisms, you feel me? Um Let's keep it with rookie news. YouTube's most searched player of all time, Jonathan Taylor, came out of nowhere today with 26 touches and 114 total yards. Now, Ian Rappaport reported this morning that Naheem Hines would see the bulk of the work in Indy's backfield. And, you know, look, this is a good reason to join the DFS Doses free Discord channel that Joey mentioned at the top of the show. I was in there this morning answering questions about Naheem Hines, letting the people know that, I mean, frankly, I thought he was a trap. And Frank Reich is as wishy-washy as it gets when it comes to running back usage. But how do you feel about this going forward? Do you think Jonathan Taylor's week 11 usage was a trend or a trap? It was definitely a trap. I don't think Jonathan Taylor will touch the ball 26 times in a game again for the rest of the year. And we know that the Colts want to ride the hot hand in their backfield on any given week. So that could be Taylor, could be Hines, could be Wilkins at any given moment. And then this just happened to be Jonathan Taylor's week where he didn't come out of the game. He didn't give up many touches to Hines or Wilkins. And I think moving forward, you have to avoid the Colts running back situation just because it's a three-headed backfield, and none of these running backs are truly elite-level difference makers at the running back position. They are solid running backs, but I don't think one of them will separate from the pack, so it's definitely a trap. Don't don't get too caught up into this performance by Jonathan Taylor because we can easily see him have a five-touch, 30-yard week next week and crush everybody's hopes and dreams, um, and he'll probably be over six, 6K. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would tell anybody who asks me next week, you know, should I play Jonathan Taylor? I, I would say absolutely not because it could easily be a Jordan Wilkins game or a Naheem Hines game. It's just I, I don't trust... Frank Reich as far as I can throw him so absolutely not playing any of these Colts backs unless there was an injury situation that narrowed it down and almost forced his hand I I would say so that's kind of how I'm looking at it full fate on Jonathan Taylor for me at the time being and I've got another running back trend or trap question for you and we're going to take it to Baltimore J.K. Dobbins appeared to have overtaken the Baltimore backfield this week had 17 touches for 85 yards and a touchdown. Meanwhile, Gus the Bus 
and Mark Ingram combined for a measly five touches. So trend or trap JK Dobbins is the starting Ravens running back for the rest of the season. I think this is a tough one to to call a trend or a trap because game script obviously helped uh, JK Dobbins get there in terms of touches uh, because the Ravens were up in this game. So they were running the ball more, you know, controlling the game uh, through J.K. Dobbins, and I think he was the hot hand today. It's very similar to the Colts situation that we just touched on. This is a three-headed backfield. Now, I think we have to give it another week or two before we can make a definitive call on whether this is Dobbins' backfield moving forward, because this one game sample size is just way too small uh, for me to call it a trend or a trap, especially since next week they could just run Mark Ingram out there and give him, you know, 15 touches and, and give give Gus, you know, 10 touches and J.K. Dobbins go back to his 12 touch role. So it's a definitely a muddy situation and, and something that I will be staying away from uh, in DFS and in fantasy for the rest of the year. I think I'll take a bolder stance on this one. I mean, I think that you know, I guess we, I guess we're kind of past the buying window in terms of redraft, but I'd be buying JK Dobbins if possible. And I, and I'm, I feel comfortable saying that this is actually a trend. I mean, if you look at the numbers, JK Dobbins has touched the ball 14 or more times in three out of his last four games, including a 16 touch game against the Steelers who they play next week where he had his first hundred yard rushing game. So we'll have a chance to replicate that against the Steelers followed up by Dallas, Cleveland and Jacksonville, a really strong schedule for JK Dobbins. If he's getting between 14 and 17 touches per game with the chance for more, if he fully hops over Ingram and the bus. And I mean, Mark Ingram doesn't have 14 touches once this season. I think he's complete dust. I think JK Dobbins has some juice and I'm ready to roll. It's Dobbins time. I'm all aboard (laughs) calling it a trend. Hey, I like that call. And maybe it is a trend. I definitely think that he's the most talented running back on the Ravens and should be the starter moving forward. It's just, I, I think at any given moment, we can see them revert back to giving Ingram and Gus touches on a, on a weekly basis. So Tough situation for me to call, but I like your bold stance on it. If if it is bold, I don't. It might not be. It might not be. How about how about this for bold? Des Bryant over Hollywood Brown rest of season. Let's ride. <laughs> God, I, I think the, the what you just said is more so a Hollywood Brown statement instead of a Des Bryant statement. Definitely, because God, this dude Hollywood sucks straight up. Like, I thought he was going to have a breakout sophomore year with him coming into his second season with Lamar, more chemistry. Obviously, we expected Lamar to run the ball less, which would mean more attempts, more targets for Brown, and it just hasn't played out that way. I mean, God, tilting, very tilting. This dude can't get open. It's just that simple. He can't get open against bad defenses. And we touched on it, or I touched on it, I should say, in the, in the preview episode. I don't think that the offensive struggles are on Lamar. I think they are on the skill position players and the coaches. And I mean, the clear-cut number one player that it's on, that the struggles are on, I should say, is Hollywood Brown. Yeah, I mean, Hollywood Brown is definitely creeping into full-blown bus territory. Just absolutely creeping, atrocious. <laughs> creeping? I mean, he, he's... No. <laughs> He's not creeping. This man is sprinting full speed because he's already there. He's already... He's a bust? Yes, 100%. 
Hollywood Brown is a bust in 2020 in fantasy football. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I haven't looked, so I'm just going to take a wild stab. I'm pretty sure this man is a wide receiver four or maybe a wide receiver five in terms of uh, redraft leagues. The fact that Des Bryant could come out of the old person's home and out-target him in his first game back just tells you all you need to know about how how much of a, a priority Marquise Brown is in the passing game. So... Yeah, Hollywood Brown, it's raps. Yeah. I'm off. Hold it. I'm I'm looking up his ranking in fantasy right now, and that will definitively say whether he's a bust or not, because this man is god awful. I so I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not looking at it. I'm gonna set the over under at wide receiver forty five, and I'm gonna take the under. 45. What you say the over under was? I think I said 45. And you've taken the over or the under? I'm taking the under. I think he's worse than 45. And you would be correct. Hollywood Brown is the wide receiver 46 in full PPR fantasy. And just to put that into perspective, Chris Godwin, who's missed multiple games, has more points than him. Corey Davis has more points than him. Tim Patrick, Randall Cobb, Jamison Crowder, who's missed half the season. God forbid, Keelan Cole has more points than than Hollywood Brown in 2020. Wow. Come on, bro. This man is a certified bust. You heard it here first. If you have him on your redraft team. Just drop him. He's droppable. Drop. Yeah. Drop him. He's, yeah. He, he literally is droppable at this point as he's a wide receiver four on the season, but is averaging about five points per game. You don't have to keep him on your team. Coming into the game, the Titans were allowing the second most fantasy points per game to wide receiver, and he couldn't even cap off in, in that game. There will not be a chance as good as that for the rest of the season. Remove the temptation from yourself. Drop him, maybe get somebody who will have some biases towards him from the offseason and just let them damage their own roster. That's that's the competitive edge mm-hmm. with Hollywood Brown, I think. Let's let's close out the show with our final interesting stat slash storyline. And this one's more of a storyline, but I guess it's that the Cowboys saw some offensive rejuvenation this week with Andy Dalton back off COVID, with, you know, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup playing a little bit better. CeeDee Lamb making one of the best catches of the year, certainly the catch of the week. Are you buying the Cowboys as a team that, you know, with the entire NFC East tied with three wins, four ways, as a team that could maybe get there in the end? I mean, I truly believe that they will win the division. I'll say it. Yeah. I I think with Andy Dalton coming back, I, I think he is capable enough to lead them to a division win, especially when, you know, their competition is, you know, Daniel Jones. Carson Wentz and Alex Smith, probably three of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. And the Dallas Cowboys have all around, like if you include defense, offense, they have just a better team than every team in that division. So I I, I think that the Cowboys players could have some fantasy value moving forward. It won't be as bad as them with Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gilbert. Obviously, their upside is severely limited as Andy Dalton really doesn't improve the players around him, but he can get the job done and it should help the Cowboys offense moving forward. And then obviously, they got Zach Martin back into the lineup on the offensive line. So that was a a major addition for them in this spot against the Vikings. And moving forward, that should help 
their offensive line. So I, I, I think they will be viable in DFS if they're dirt cheap like they were today. I mean, like Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Zeke Elliott, they, they were all too cheap in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Zeke had his first 100-yard rushing day of the season. That's kind of a crazy stat to think about. I mean, he, he's been getting to touches all year, but crossed 100 for the first time, and the Cowboys were, were playing really well on offense, I think. Um, you know, put up 31 points. You know, Minnesota's defense is nothing to write home about, but they still got there, and that was encouraging to see if you have a lot of Cowboys. I mean, tough scene for any people who are heavy on Cowboys and redraft. And, you know, it was impossible to sell them after Dak went by. You were sailing to the money first half of the year and then just utterly tanked with Dak gone. But I mean, there might be some hope if you were able to to scratch by in the meantime for these players coming back. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be it for us on episode 108 of the DFS Dose podcast. Thank you for listening. We will be back for our special Thanksgiving preview on Wednesday. We will be back with the full week 12 preview on thursday and you will hear from us for a third and final time next week on monday to recap all of the action three podcasts coming at you next week look forward to that and like joey said at the top of the show you can support us by subscribing on any podcast platform subscribing on the youtube channel and joining our free discord chat that will help you just as much as it helps us as always, you can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. All right, guys, we will talk to you on Wednesday.